Milk minute, milk minute, milk minute, yeah. This is Maureen Farrell and Heather O'Neill, and this is the Milk Minute. We're midwives and lactation professionals, bringing you the most up-to-date evidence for all things lactation, so you can feel more confident about feeding your baby, body positivity, relationships, and mental health. Plus, we laugh a little or a lot along the way. So join us for another episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Milk Minute podcast. Um, Heather, how how are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you asked. I, I just love talking about myself. Everyone <laughs> at my house is throwing up and having diarrhea except me. And then Heidi woke up with hand, foot, and mouth. So oh, God. She could not go. She could not go to her field trip today at school, where they were going to go to Wamsley Cycles. <laughs> and uh, also, yeah. wait, wait they, I know they're going to a bike store for their field trip. Yeah, I mean they're four, so I guess anything's okay. exciting. Okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, nothing against Wamsleys, like no, no, it, it's a but... great bike store. I'm just like maybe not where I'd go for a field trip. It's fine. <laughs> Be like a five second long field trip. Here's the bikes. Okay, everybody go home. <laughs> um, <laughs> can we ride them? No, you're too small. Yeah, okay. Also no. <laughs> also no. In fact, don't touch anything. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so she is excited to stay home, but I had to work a little bit today, and my husband is mm-hmm. still reeling from being completely emptied of all fluids. And yeah. I was like, you got this, right? You can handle this for a few hours. You're good. You're good, right? Can you also sanitize the entire small <laughs> bathroom again? Everything. And everything you've touched. And he's like, Ugh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Just, so you know, just... wear, wear a mask when you walk into the house and just like spray Lysol in front of you. Like a big X. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like freaking seven months pregnant and I do not want to vomit to the point where my pelvic floor falls out again. No, no, absolutely not. That's horrendous. <sighs> yeah. It's my fe- it's my fear that I'm going to end up with this and I'm going to vomit so hard something sh- falls out. <laughs> Sleep at the office. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about it, actually. Uh, I feel might like not be a bad idea. At this point in pregnancy, if you had like severe norovirus or something, you would like probably just pop a bunch of new hemorrhoids out and bust up your pelvic floor and it would be fucking terrible. I would hate that yeah. for you. Thank you. I mean, I already had norovirus at the beginning of this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bookend it. You know, I just think that would be ridiculous. <laughs> No, thanks. Especially because I just had my ultrasound yesterday, which my Mm -hmm. husband could not make it to because he was barfing. So I took Heidi and she was super cute and um, she loved it. Had a million questions for the ultrasound tech. But the baby actually showed their face, which never happens. My kids are always hiding in the placenta. So um, it was really cool to see that. And ultrasounds have come a long way, even in four and a half years. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was, like, I was like, wait, do I have to pay extra for this? Like, oh, this is just what it looks like now? Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're still a little bit creepy, though, but like getting less creepy with the 4D renderings, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And honestly, they're pretty chubby in there. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like an alien. It's like a chubby little baby. Just nice. Yeah. It's not like those 20-week scans where you're like, is that... Skeletor. It's a little, it's different. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, it's mine. Look how cute. Um, 
Yeah. So anyway, I'm just I'm hanging in there. But what are you doing? What are you up to? Um, I was doing some home visits this morning for Amish women, which is always just kind of like an entertaining day for me because I just I don't mm-hmm. I don't know what what's going to happen at any of those. <laughs> Like they never give me advance warning about anything. They're like, I'll just wait till I see you next. Even if my leg is falling off, it's fine. And also like sometimes I show up and there's like eight children in a cart being like pulled by a pony in the front yard. And that's wonderful. You know, (laughs) (laughs) there's like a 11 year old girl skinning a deer in the front yard. And you're like, you just never know. (laughs) I did get to meet the tiniest horse I've ever seen today, though. Like they got this one family got a new cart pony and she had a baby and it was like it was like a toy. I was like, oh, that's not a real horse. It was so small. Was it meant to be tiny? Yeah, well, it's a baby. And they're like this little like the full grown pony was maybe like up to my chest. Okay. And they're just for pulling carts, you know. And yeah, so the baby is like, like so tiny. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. I'd love to see that. I love horses. Yeah. Did you know that about me? I don't know that I did know that. Are you a horse? <laughs> did you like want to be a horse girl? Because I did, but I just didn't like have a horse. So <laughs> it's expensive to be a horse girl. It is. It is. So, no, um, I'm not yeah. one. But <laughs> if someone's like, hey, Heather, would you like to come pet my horse? I'm going to be like, yes. hell yeah. I do want to pet your horse, and well, I'm one of those people that when I pet it, I truly think we're connecting. You know, <laughs> the horse is probably really creeped out by me, but I'm like, oh, I'm really feeling our spirits align right now. Well, next time you come to my house, the horses in the field on the left are very friendly. You're allowed to pet them; they're very nice. Ooh. All right. Well, I'll go imprint on them next time I'm up, which is going to be soon. You have a spiritual connection with them; it'll be great. <laughs> They're the only ones I connect with. Okay. All right. Well, what are we talking about today? So today we're going to chat about those like bumps on your areola, right? Where people call me and they're like, oh yeah, I've had these bumps and I popped one and something came out and I don't know, they keep coming back and we're like, please don't pop them. And I'm like, I get it. I'm a picker too. (laughs) I totally want to. (laughs) We're talking about Montgomery glands. Very exciting. Awesome. Yeah, we definitely need to talk about this because most people don't really know, like, what what constitutes a nipple? Is this an areola? What are these bumps? Is milk going to come out of them? If the white stuff comes out of them, is it milk? Question mark. Honestly, so, I, I learned a lot uh, looking into this, too. You know, I was I read some studies that I just would have never thought existed. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't wait. Awesome. Well, before we get into that, let's thank a couple patrons. Um, big shout out to Sarah Kelly, Les Sierra, and Lauren Godwin. And um, Lauren's actually my neighbor. So thank you, Aww. Lauren. I appreciate it. And I love seeing her and her baby walk in their very fancy stroller. She's got one of those, I think it's a Vista. And it's mm. like the bassinet one where the baby lays mm-hmm. down like a traditional pram. And the other day I saw it and I was like, oh, that is a fine looking stroller. And I looked it up and I was like, I think I could afford a horse before I could afford a Vista. <laughs> I know, but anyway. there's like $1,300 strollers. You're like, wow, are we buying a car or a stroller? Oh, it's more than yeah. that? <laughs> it <God>. is. <laughs> yeah, and I looked at my husband and I was like, guess what you're buying me? <laughs> 
It's my push present. Then I could push her around. (laughs) Anyway, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break and thank one of our sponsors. And then we'll talk about uh, nipple bumps. Have you guys ever been listening to our show and thought to yourself, man, I really want to work one-on-one with Maureen? I do every day that I sit here podcasting across from you. (laughs) Well, lucky for you and everybody at home, I offer both in-person and virtual support through my business. And in my business, Highland Birth Support, I'm dedicated to mentoring you guys through your childbearing year. So that could start with fertility all the way through pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum. I offer home birth midwifery services, doula services, lactation support, herbal support, anything you guys need. You even do miscarriage support. Absolutely, I do. That's one of the biggest things that is so hard to find. And I think that your people that are local to you are so incredibly lucky to have this service. Thank you. And I just feel really happy to serve everybody. And I'm so happy I can expand my services virtually as well. Yeah. Telehealth for lactation has been really important through the pandemic. And I think we just about got it perfected at this point. So if you guys want to work with me, head over to highlandbirthsupport.com and check out what I can offer you. That's H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D birthsupport.com. Welcome back, everybody. Before we talk about Montgomery glands, let's answer a quick question from a listener. We actually received this email yesterday from Cassandra M. And Cassandra was listening to the Should I Stop Breastfeeding episode. Mm. And she had a follow-up question, which I thought was really good. Okay. Cassandra says... The question that has me experiencing the most guilt regarding potentially weaning is surrounding the benefits breastfeeding confers to the recipient, and therefore what I may be robbing him of if we wean. Is there a minimum effective dose for breast milk, so to speak? I've hesitated to drop feedings because I want him to have the immune and general health benefits and worried that he may not get those if he's not getting a certain threshold amount of breast milk per day, if there is such a thing. I value your evidence-based approach and figured if there is in on this topic, you would know about it. Thank you. And she also tried looking this up on PubMed, and mm. no surprise, she's a pharmacist. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. I have to preface any answer with studies about the benefits of breastfeeding are very, very hard to control because we have different populations who breastfeed or don't. And that is strongly correlated with things like socioeconomic status and, you know, nutritional status and other things that are going to affect lifelong health of your child, right? And so it's really hard to, like, eliminate all of those factors and be like, it was only breastfeeding that did this. But we also do have some information that basically tells us any amount of breastfeeding, you know, we, we call this like the ever breastfed in the studies, um, like never breastfed, exclusively breastfed and ever breastfed. Um, and that category consistently shows marked increases in these health factors that we're looking at as far as breastfeeding benefits. Yeah. And also, I have had several patients who 
can't breastfeed exclusively or don't want to breastfeed exclusively, but they do still latch a couple times a day. So maybe before naps or morning, Mm -hmm. evening, whenever it's nice for them. So they eliminate the feedings that are triggering them or too stressful or whatever, and they only keep the feeding or the feedings that are serving them. And, you know, the risk of this, obviously, is that you dry up completely or your baby doesn't tolerate it. But that's on your baby. (laughs) And (laughs) frankly, what we see from older baby research and milk composition is that Mm -hmm. the smaller the volume in a 24-hour period, the greater the concentration of the good stuff in it. So baby is typically getting the same amount of antibodies in four ounces as they are spread over 24 ounces. So for a lot of these things, it is not necessarily volume dependent. It's dose dependent for that day. Almost like instead of getting all of your vitamins over the course of three square meals, you're taking one giant wheatgrass shot in the morning and there you go. Additionally, so to not think about it as a vitamin or like a medication, think about it as like palate development or Mm -hmm. the reversal of some of the other oral effects that maybe like pacifiers or thumb sucking has. So we have seen a lot of research that shows us that any amount of breastfeeding where they actually expand their palate to accommodate the nipple will counteract any narrowing of the palate that is done by a thumb or a pacifier. So... I mean, benefits abound regardless of dose and um, as long as it's serving you. So I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. And, you know, I generally really try to encourage people, you know, if if they want to keep breastfeeding for the benefits, like you said, only um, continue the parts that are actually serving you. And also that if you need to wean entirely, that's okay. You have already conferred lots of benefits to your baby. There's no way that we can quantify that. And nor should we try, you know, because that's real stressful. It's not going to be accurate. And it doesn't matter because you've done amazing stuff already. And we can acknowledge that as a generalization, I think, and still be really proud of that. Yep. Agreed. We're all just out there doing our best, you know? All right. Well, I I hope that answers your question. I know that wasn't like Probably not the answer you were hoping for. Well, the pharmacist is like, tell me, please, your God. (laughs) She's like, please tell me it's two ounces a day. You know, if if you tell me two ounces a day, I will muscle through and I will do what I need to do to make two ounces or find two ounces a day. I wish that I could give you that data. I I would say half an ounce, (laughs) half an ounce a day, if if you can. And it's not too much for you. Half an ounce would be better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, if you need to wean, this is me and Heather telling you right now that you can do that. Yep. Four thumbs up. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's get to the episode. This is going to be kind of fun, you know. It's kind yeah, of tell me about my nipples. <laughs> okay. So if you don't already know what we're talking about. When you look at your breast, your areola is the flat part around your nipple that has a different pigmentation than the rest of your breast. It's typically going to be darker. And on that, you know, circle of skin, we typically have little bumps that sometimes look like zits, right? Sometimes they have a little whitehead. Sometimes they're really small. Sometimes they get a little bigger. 
And those are what we're talking about today. These are called Montgomery glands or tubercles. And I, I say both because they're different parts of the anatomy, but it's really the same thing when we're just talking generally, right? So the Montgomery gland is the part that exists under the skin. And the Montgomery tubercle is like the pore, that the little bump that we see on the top of the skin. Um, now, usually when people ask us about this, it's in pregnancy because the tubercles become larger and more noticeable in pregnancy, sometimes they're like significantly swollen. Sometimes they come to like a little head and you can see that there's fluid inside of them, right? And any given person might have four to 25 of them per areola. That's a big range. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you what I see the most. <laughs> okay. So I see that when people have an even number, they don't think about it at all. Mostly, unless you have one tubercle that is, like, really aggressive. I mean, like, visually, they look symmetrical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then there's people that have, like, four on one side and 25 on the other. <laughs> and they are like, okay, what is this? What's happening? Yeah. What's wrong with breast A or breast B? And I'm like, mm-hmm. literally nothing. But can I tell you about an interesting nipple I saw the other day? I would love to hear about it. I, are you, you Like, you never have to ask that. You just okay. tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and nothing was wrong with this nipple, but it kind of uh, – I would like to think about this nipple as you're teaching me more about Montgomery glands okay. today. So every single one of her tubercles was at the base of her nipple. Huh, like a little necklace for the nipple. Like exactly <laughs> like a little necklace. But it was – they were right on top of each other, like clustered right on top of each other. So – this poor girl had been trying to measure her flange size and she had been very confused about where her nipple started and ended because it was like nipple, not a, like a ridge of tubercles and then a flat areola with nothing. And I was like, I hear you. And you know what? This is a new one for me. I was like, first of all, they're perfect. They're fine. But I went with the size flange that did not rub them (laughs) yeah i i think that would probably become irritating and if they calm down a little bit and they get a little smaller you can size down you know that's what i figured so in case you're out there listening you can always phone a friend and we can work it out together yeah and and you know (laughs) heather and i think both have seen cases of like severely swollen Montgomery glands before um, and all, all kinds of issues with them. So if, if you've had a problem with yours, you're not alone. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Go it's ahead. Okay. I'm fine with it. Let's talk a little bit about more about like anatomically what is happening. Cause I love that. <laughs> okay. Tell me. Okay. So these are what we would think of as like a modified sebaceous, and lactiferous unit, okay? So sebaceous is a word that we use when we're talking about places in the body that hold like oil or fat. Um, And lactiferous refers to something that either makes or conveys like a milky fluid, not necessarily milk though, don't know why. Um, and so, so that's what the anatomy textbooks say about them. And they secrete. Wait, so is that, is that like if one of my face pores had a love child with one of my uh, glands in my vagina that lubricates? <laughs> kind of. Or maybe like one of your like nipple pores almost, you know? 
Uh, it's like something uh-huh. in between there. And it, it secretes an oily fluid, which like helps the nipple stay moist and supple. It prevents cracking. It prevents the nipple and the areola from drying out. And typically we don't notice this fluid coming out. It's like very, very small amounts of lubrication just throughout the day. And this is the reason that most of the time, like healthcare providers don't tell you, you have to wash your nipples with soap because we, we already have this like self-cleaning system in there, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Very cool. And thank God, one less thing to worry about with nipples and breasts. Exactly. And this secretion um, from the Montgomery glands also contains antimicrobial factors that prevent the growth of germs, which is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So actually, they recommend not washing your nipples with yeah. soap. Yep. Just the same reason why we don't take a, a bar of Dial soap and wash the inside of our vagina. Yes. Because that, that'll mess you right up. Also, <laughs> who did that as a kid, like, one time? Yeah, it was really not fun. Or, or how about every single time you go to a hotel and you forget to pack your fancy soap and you're <sighs> like, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sweaty from whatever we were doing. Yeah. I'll just put a little of the hotel soap around the outside and then you're like, no. Like that was a Bernie mistake that I'm gonna pay for. Yeast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so this uh, antimicrobial oil uh, helps protect your breastfeeding baby, which is amazing. But we also have like larger theories about the Montgomery glands that I'm gonna get into a little bit later in a second. Also wanted to note that everybody has these. Every human, doesn't matter what your sex is, whether you've breastfed or not. These are just there, just like the mammary glands, just like the nipple. It's all there, friends. Um, Question. Yes. For our non-lactating male friends, Hmm. do they, they also secrete the oily substance that moisturizes their nipples? Yes. Uh, I don't know. And do That's we care? I, I was just I wondering. I d- also don't care. I would I would kind of guess maybe not because we have like none of the hormones that are involved in maturing and activating all of the glands on the breast, you know? It's still kind of like an awkward mucous membrane though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely is. I don't know. I, you know, because they also like they will never have a hormonal period like or most people, most most men will not have a hormonal period where they're like maturing and stimulating the Montgomery glands like we do in pregnancy. So mm. no question mark. That's okay. a good question. <laughs> it's almost Sorry. like your lips Sorry, friends. Like like your lips are an extension of your mucous membrane in your mouth mm-hmm. and nipples are an external extension of the mucous membrane in your tubercles. Interesting. Interesting thoughts that we're having today that have no uh, bearing on our lives whatsoever. (laughs) Perfect. And we always come back to this. Who cares about men? No one. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. Hey, they're they're Ken enough. They're Ken enough, right? (laughs) They're Ken enough. Did you get to see the Barbie movie yet? Uh, No, not yet. My life is not working out. I think you just need to take... Just take, just leave work and go see the Barbie movie. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so the ducts, the tubercles and the glands and everything, they're really similar to what we have going on like in our mammary glands, right? 
the, they're similar to the ducks that carry milk to the nipple. And we get occasional reports that they do carry milk. It's not the norm. It's not what they're supposed to do. But we have reports as high as 20% of people reporting that milk occasionally comes out of them. I don't know how true that is, but like there have been case reports where, you know, doctors looked at it and they're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely milk coming out of them. It's not in great amounts. It's not like it's leaking out of them all the time. But essentially, sometimes those ducks, like instead of ending in a little sebaceous gland, they like do, 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 and connect back to the larger mammary system. (laughs) What's that duck thinking when it's growing? (laughs) It's lost. That duck just lost. Where am I going? (laughs) That's so Um, funny. I thought I would add, too, that these are named after William Featherstone Montgomery. You know, because why not? Let's name it after a man. Um, He was an Irish obstetrician who first described them in his book that he published in 1837 called An Exposition of the Signs and Symptoms of Pregnancy. And I tried to find out more information on him to see if he was like steeped in uh, controversy, but it seems like he was actually pretty boring. Um, Mm. Uh, He sounds like a guy I would like to be with. (laughs) He, he, you know, uh, he was like a professor of midwifery, which it said, which I thought was interesting. Don't know how accurate that is, Wikipedia. I mean, obstetricians Um, were like new on the scene, right? Yeah, they were pretty new on the scene. He had a number of papers and studies focused on the breasts um, and in particular changes of the nipple and areola. So that's pretty cool. And he uh, he died of a heart attack. So <laughs> sorry. I don't know sir. why that's funny to me. I just I'm <laughs> No, I'm just kind of thinking about how, you know, men back in the 1700s would like stick a flag in something that has existed for millions of years I and they're like I discovered it. I I discovered it and then William Featherstone Montgomery's like I am the first to discover Montgomery glands. Yeah. I shall write it down and draw a photo. And uh, draw a picture because photos didn't exist. It's just really, and the, all the girls roll their eyes and they're like, "Yeah, we've known this forever." Uh, well, I just thought to mention if any listeners uh, are related to William Featherstone Montgomery, like send us an email, let us know, you know. Yeah, and send us a portrait because I want to see he if he's hot I, because that's I, a good hot name. I did not find a picture of him. I didn't look that hard for one, though. I was mostly trying to look if he, like, did any weird, crazy stuff that we could talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he did. It's just not on record. It's just not there. Um, Well, (laughs) on that note, we should take, like, a really quick break. And then we're going to dig a lot deeper into the um, larger functions of the Montgomery glands and the role that they play in initiating breastfeeding. Sounds good. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Aeroflow. Aeroflow is your one-stop shop to get the most popular breast pumps and accessories through your insurance. Yeah, so don't let your insurance go to waste. Why don't you let Aeroflow do all the dirty work for you? You never have to call your insurance when you use Aeroflow. And they remind you when you're eligible for free replacement parts. Yep, so when you're tired in your postpartum period and you're wondering why your pump isn't working as well, you might get a text that says, did you know you need replacement parts? And you say, I did not know that. Right. You push a button and boom, they show up at your door. Thanks, Aeroflow. Thank you so much. Go ahead and check out the link to Aeroflow in our show notes and order your pump through them. 
Heather, have I told you about my new favorite place to get nursing bras? Oh, tell me. It's called the Dairy Fairy. The Dairy Fairy offers bras and tanks that try to solve the challenges that come with nursing and pumping. Their ingenious intimates are beautiful, supportive, and can be worn all day long. Oh, you're allowed to look good and feel good about yourself while wearing a nursing bra? Absolutely. And they offer sizes up to a 52G. <gasps> oh, Amazing. I'm so glad a company has finally realized that a D cup is not a large. Absolutely. And I, it's so affirming to feel included in sizing and not feel like I'm asking for too much that clothing fits my body. Well, what else do we get? Well, if you guys follow the link in our show notes, you can use the code MILKMINUTE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic orders. Thank you so much, Dairy Fairy. Absolutely. Once again, that's the link in our show notes and use the code MILKMINUTE for free shipping on all domestic orders. Welcome back, everybody. All right, Maureen, tell me about the bigger picture of Montgomery glands and how they get us going with breastfeeding. Okay. Okay. So I uh, dug around in a lot of different studies trying to find one that I felt like gave us really good information and information that would be interesting for this podcast. Um, And one that I found that I'm going to really focus on was from um, 2009, and it was called The Secretion of Areolar Glands from Lactating Women, Selective Unconditioned Responses in Neonates. What an exciting title. Don't you love when they just title the study like just it's like the first sentence. They're like, that's the title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're like the original SEO friendly thinking. (laughs) It was very SEO friendly. I did find this. Yeah, I I, I think they're going to they're going to get flagged for keyword stuffing. I could tell you all about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but the actual aim of this study was to determine if the Montgomery glands had like a communicative function for the newborn, like if it was sending them a message, which is really cool. Um, also, I seemed like kind of a challenge to study. So I've, I've read this thing like five times. It was great, actually, riveting research. Yeah. And I kind of <laughs> wonder, you know, who was the genius that was like, let's study this. Yeah, well, so we have had like several decades of research where it's been like, shown that the compound, you know, secreted by the Montgomery gland has volatile components, like things that we notice with our sense of smell and humans respond to. Um, And it's been noted a bunch of times that it probably affects newborn behavior, but it, it wasn't really studied in isolation, you know. So we had some studies saying breast odor reduced arousal states for active newborns, but increased arousal states for sleepy babies. Um, it elicited head turning, stimulated oral activity, you know, things like that, which is so great. And it leads to the hypothesis that this helps initiate breastfeeding, right? But a lot of that research looked at both colostrum and Montgomery secretions and milk, like kind of all mixed together, kind of non-specifically, you know, um, or it'd be like one line in a bigger study. So um, these folks were like, let's just study the Montgomery secretions. Love that. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> what they do, like pop some tubercles and put it on a Q-tip and try to entice a 
sort of blind newborn with it and be like, over here? Yes. Yes. Basically, yes. They had three-day-old neonates. (laughs) (laughs) And they took secretions from lactating women who the babies had never met before. So not their mothers, no one they were related to, strangers. Um, And they looked at the effect of those secretions on the infant behavior and on the autonomic nervous system as compared to some other interesting odors. (laughs) So their arbitrarily chosen artificial odorants (laughs) were really, I was like, what the fuck are those? Um, So they included like some, okay, this one I couldn't quite figure out what it was. This was just like mystery oily secretion from lactating females, but they didn't say what that was. <laughs> but they also looked at human milk, cow milk, breast milk replacement. So like a formula, they used vanillin and... What's vanillin? Uh, it's like vanilla extract. Oh, why? I mean, is that I, because it's an ex- extract from a beaver gland? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they were just trying to see like, okay, you know, we've got things that we know affect babies like milk, you know, we have milk replacements. Let's just do another food smell to see if it's like all yeah. foods, right? Makes or, sense. Or just like a really non-threatening smell that. Yeah. And they used okay. water too as the control, you know, and they they got some really impressive results actually. So, of course, they saw that the smell of the Montgomery secretions um, intensified the baby's head and mouth movements, both in how many they made and how long they made them. It increased how, like, largely they inhaled, like it made them take really big, deep breaths. And they, the responses developed independently from any experience with the breast or milk. So babies that were both breastfed and not breastfed. Ah, so they're naturally just inclined to smell something coming out of your gland, take a deep breath so they can smell it more and confirm and then go for it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool. So, you know, the conclusion of this is that because this, the smell of the Montgomery secretions is arousing, it helps baby align their head to the breast for feeding. And it essentially initiates the chain of behavioral and physiological events that establish lactation. And, you know, these secretions are, are like chemical signals from the breast, right? And they activate the oral activity on the nipple which in turn starts this whole cascade of stuff that happens to get us to lactogenesis too. Is it a one-way street or does it also take in the baby's saliva and then, you know, support lactation that way? I didn't see that mentioned in the study at all, so I don't know. Yeah, we have dabbled in this. I've seen this in lactation before where the glands actually take a reading of your baby's saliva and transmit that the other way to our body. I would actually, I want to do an episode on this on the salivary reuptake because I did recently, you know, because somebody asked me one question about it. I sat and read about it for like nine hours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Um, Because that's just what happens in my everyday. Um, Yeah, let's do a whole episode on that because it was really interesting. Yeah, I think that is really cool. And and how you would, I mean, those studies would have to be 
much more complicated than this, but this is like pretty definitive. This is actually set up really it well. It is. I, I think they had really good controls. They had a really good process. Um, and one interesting thing too that they mentioned is that the breast odors stimulated eye opening for the infant, which then in turn helps establish bonding for the mother. And that's like a reinforcing stimulus that positively affects the parental responsiveness, which is, it's just like a really cool way to look at that. Well, and also, you know, this whole like skin to skin movement, thank God that we're, that we're doing Mm -hmm. again. They're like, oh, it's the skin to skin. And it's like, it's not just the skin to skin. It's the fact that your baby is on your skin and very close to your glands, which are taking readings yeah. potentially and submitting chemical neurotransmitters. And then also, have you seen that whole, I forget who wrote it. I'm going to have to, if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But there's a midwife out there who is like very anti-newborn hats. Have mm-hmm. you seen this? Mm-hmm. And I... I was like, okay, I'll bite. And I read it the other day and it made so much sense to me where she was like, newborn hats as well. I mean, I just never really thought about it before. She was like, it is so stupid to put a hat on a newborn. First of all, it doesn't stay on. Second of all, you will, you will get a response from the mom. So like the same way this study is set up to um, Mm -hmm. see what responses are elicited in the newborn, we get responses from mom when the head isn't covered. We we see yeah. the mom smell the the wet head and, yeah. you know, really kind of like begin that bonding I, process. I've literally seen mothers like lick their baby's heads just totally mm-hmm. unconsciously, you know, and I, you know, I, I will never be like, why did you just lick your baby? Because it makes so much <laughs> sense that every other mammal is going to do that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so meanwhile, here in America, we're like, shove a hat on that cone head. Let's cover up the cone head. And then you have to fuss with the hat endlessly because it won't stay on. And I definitely understand like keeping heat in for the neonate, especially like smaller babies, compromised babies. But this was ruled out. Yeah. So did you I don't know if you saw that, but apparently that whole thing came that. That newborns lose the majority of their heat out of their head is not necessarily true because that's based on a study of military guys Mm -hmm. that were in the trenches Mm -hmm. and in the middle of winter and they measured the heat output. Of course, it was coming out of their head. Everywhere else was covered with wool and their uniforms and they weren't wearing hats. (laughs) So it's like that's where it's going to Absolutely. Yeah, we have much more effective ways of protecting newborn temperature, one of which just being skin to skin, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, in the conclusion of this study, they they talked about, you know, how there, this, this really essentially plays a key role in infant survival if we're looking at a species, which is really interesting to think about. And when we think about it that way, It also has implications for non-breastfed infants, like infants you are planning to formula feed from the beginning may also benefit from being close to the breast, smelling alveolar secretions because it's going to increase their feeding activity, whether that's at the breast or bottle. Can we also, so, you know, we need to put this on our list of PhD topics that Mm -hmm. we're trying to send out to the universe, but... We should study this in NICU babies. I was just thinking that. I was like, what if we had little Q-tips of Montgomery Glen oils? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Prior to feedings, bottle or otherwise, and also 
like not <laughs> prior yeah, to Yeah, I mean, but, like, especially for those infants who are just stuck on feeding tubes because we cannot get them to suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this would be a good one and easy to study because yeah. NICU babies yeah. are much easier to study. They're in one place. They're already <laughs> isolated <laughs> and very controlled and very monitored. I know. I, I 100% agree. I guess one of us will have to get a fucking PhD sometime. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go ahead and say not it right now. I'm <sighs> I'm at capacity. so Not not right now. Neither of us. We'll wait till our kids are older and then maybe we'll do it together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a really cool tool for speech language pathologists and OTs that work be. in the NICU to do. We should reach out to our buddies uh, that we interviewed yeah. and see if they have any current research projects that they would like to work on. That's a great <laughs> idea because I would hey, like to Hey, can I give you some more work? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like, you know, I, I know that this episode probably isn't going to change anybody's breastfeeding success and isn't going to solve problems for you. But I do think it's really interesting to understand what our bodies are doing and to know this going into your birth, right? And to know that, yes, your baby is benefiting just from being near the breast, even if they have never latched yet. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hear about my Montgomery glands and tubercles, you can hop over to our subscription only (laughs) podcast called Beyond the Boob that's tracking my pregnancy. (laughs) We've talked about Uh, it. We have talked about them, and, you know, I may or may not have pulled a little stalactite of oil out of one of the glands this morning with some tweezers. It was just dangling there like a blackhead that was halfway out. I had to get it. It just come off on its own. But then I wouldn't have received the joy. The dopamine, the little dopamine hit of the picking. I know. I understand that. However, if you put tweezers near your nipple again, you are on my shit list, girl. Fine. But I had to get a spray tan for that (laughs) wedding that I was in. And then the tan actually clung to some of the oily glands. So it actually looked like blackheads. And I knew it wasn't. Did you not block off your nipples when you were? No. Don't they give you pasties for that? (laughs) No. (laughs) I just stood there butt-ass naked and I was like, get it. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shout out to Marley at the glow room. I've never spray tanned before, so I, I don't know what that experience is like, but it sounds it's, unpleasant. It's pretty vulnerable. It's right yeah. up there with a pap smear. But um, okay. wait, on that note, one more thing before we sign off. Um, mm-hmm. Nipple balm in general. Mm. So mm-hmm. a lot of patients ask me about, do I need to preemptively go ahead and start using nipple butter? Because everybody gets nipple butter in their mm-hmm. baby shower presents. There's like, you will have so much nipple butter, you could drown in it. And yes. I don't use yeah. it at all mm-hmm. unless we have an injury. I agree. Because I don't yeah. want to block the glands and I don't want your baby to not be able to smell the smells. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, super worried about blocking the glands. You know, theoretically, if they're, like, continuously producing fluid, it's probably going to get flushed out and it's fine. But more than that, it's just, like, I don't I don't want your baby to be ingesting extra stuff that they don't need to if we're, if we're not needing to use it for, like, a medical reason, you know? Well, a lot of them, though, are occlusive barriers, like, on yeah. purpose. Yeah. Um, so it depends on which True. one you're using. But some True. of them, like, lanolin, it's just... Lanolin thick. is intense. It's oil-based, so, like, oil attracts oil, and so it's, like, plus the smell. Like, you can't get 
through the smell of lanolin to smell anything in the whole room. I hate it <laughs> I, so much. I know what it smells like. It smells like sheep is what it smells like. It 100% <laughs> smells like sheep. I had a patient the other day that's obsessed with bag balm, which is lanolin. And she was like, I love it. I grew up on a farm. I put it on my lips every night. And I was like, oh, my God. How did you even <laughs> No, How did you get pregnant? Like your husband I... kissed you with those cow mouth? <laughs> You know, so since I raise sheep, I do mostly do have hair sheep, but I have a wool sheep because I'm just a glutton for punishment who I shear every year. And when, let me tell you what, when I'm done cutting this sheep's wool, it is like goopy lanolin up to my elbows. Ew. (laughs) And like, just because their wool is saturated with it. It keeps them dry. Can I tell you, I did not know that that's where lanolin came from. Yeah, it's where lanolin comes from. And, like, since I'm basically, like, straddling this sheep to to get her shorn, like, I have to be careful what pants I'm wearing because they'll be ruined because they'll just be soaked through with oil. Whoa. That's crazy. I don't want mm-hmm. that on my nipples, to be honest. And no, also- I mean, it's actually great, though. Like, it is a really amazing natural barrier that we can use when we need to protect vulnerable skin however we don't need to use that all the time (laughs) it's not prophylactic though like you know start simple like less is more and then also if you feel chafed or if you have an injury i want to know about it i don't want you just using lanolin till the cows come home or the sheep come home and then you call me when your nipple's about to fall off and i'm like oh god you know what lanolin reminds me of actually you know that stuff the like medicated ointment barrier that we use for bed sores it is like that exact texture bomb yeah (laughs) it smells the same too that's probably what's in it yeah, I don't. Yeah, I really, I don't know if there's lanolin in it or not, but um, I know there's a bunch of different things to use, but it's what I think of every time I touch like a tube of lanolin. How do they get the lanolin off the sheep don't and know. into the jar? <laughs> I, I don't know if they're harv. It's not. I mean, I couldn't. Ima- I can imagine it's not hard to harvest from wool. Like you're just rendering fat, so you just like boil it and it floats to the top. But I don't know gotcha. if that's how we actually get it or not. Oh my gosh, I smell a project. <laughs> you want me to render some lanolin? Yeah, next time you shear your sheep. I've got like boxes of wool in my attic. You can do it anytime you want. I'm not doing it. You do it. <laughs> I just said I don't have time. Yeah, I love that you think I do. Okay. Anyway. I don't. I don't. The, but now that if we've we... gone on a tangent about sheep husbandry. <laughs> Yeah, whenever you and I finally lose our minds and we need to run away from life, we'll spend a whole day like wearing farm skirts and yeah. just freaking extracting lanolin from your sheep. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> all right. Perfect. Well, thank you for all of that. Um, so just to summarize, don't pick at your Montgomery glands. Don't try to pop them. If you do have one that is super enlarged and it gets painful Mm -hmm. and you have been picking it especially, you are at risk to have an infected gland, just like any other gland in your body that can get infected, and you can go get some treatment for that. Please don't try to lance that yourself at home. This is not a cystic acne situation. This is a gland that can be damaged. And then also, please don't preemptively use nipple butter. If you have an injury or you feel chafed, call lactation consultant and then use it, but use it under guidance. Did I cover everything? I, I think you did. 
I think okay. we're ready to move on. Let's move on. If you're pumping milk away from your baby at all, at work, or wherever you go, you deserve a bougie product to make that easier for you. You deserve a series chiller. And frankly, I could not live without one right now. The series chiller is an excellent way to store your breast milk safely, and it keeps your breast milk cold for 24 hours. It is the only thing I use to transport my breast milk to and from work. While I'm working, it's got a sleek and beautiful design, lots of great colors, high quality materials, and manufacturing. Series Chill also has other products that you might want to check out too. My personal favorite is the Milk Stash. They have a great nipple shield that actually changes colors, and it's not clear like all the other ones. (laughs) And you know how we feel about that. Um, If you want to have your very own series chiller, please go to the link in our show notes and use code MILKMINUTE15 at checkout. That's MILKMINUTE15 for 15% off your series chill products. Enjoy. We have an award. Whoop, whoop. Let's do it. All right. So we got a wonderful email and we'd love to give a shout out and an award to um, that person. So... This email is from Casey. Casey says, Hi, I'm listening to the podcast as I pump, and I thought I'd update you. Our baby Jane did end up getting a G-tube, and after two months, we're home. It will take some time for her vocal cords to heal, and she has a great suck on a pacifier, and we've been doing passy dips while she gets her tube feeding to associate the sucking with the taste of milk and her belly getting full. We worked with a lot of great people and they've helped us get home. And this is our first step to breastfeeding. We are trying to work with different pacifiers now, but she has definitely developed a preference for the Suvi. I'm learning to love my pump, kind of, (laughs) and realizing that pumping is still breastfeeding and that's okay. And she sent us a picture of her adorable, happy two-month-old. Oh, yeah, she's the one that we answered her her complicated question the other day, just a couple episodes ago. So I love that she sent us an update and we could get some closure on that. And that is so great that you're using the passy dips. This ties right into what we were saying. Rub some Q-tips on your Montgomery glands and see if you can elicit a response prior to a G-tube feed and see what happens. This is the perfect one for this episode. It is. It is. Okay, let's see. What award should we give her? All right, Casey, we're going to give you the prodigious pumper award because not only are you pumping at this point, but you really overcame a lot of those feeding challenges that are very complicated and you stuck with it and you're doing a great job and you're still sticking with it and trying new things, which we love and we would love any more updates that you have for us. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of The Milk Minute. Um, And please don't forget, we have another podcast now, which is so crazy. It's called Beyond the Boob. Yes. Uh, I'd love to see you over there and give you all the TMI information about my pregnancy and uh, what's been going on with me for the past (laughs) however many weeks I've been pregnant. Sometimes it feels like two seconds and sometimes it feels like a hundred (laughs) years. And I do about one free episode a month and then all the other episodes are available by subscription through Apple Podcasts or through our Patreon at the $5 a month and up um, membership levels. And that is at patreon.com slash milkminutepodcast. All right. We'll see you over there. Have a good one. It's a minute.